Good morning, brothers and sisters. It is indeed good uh, to be with you. Uh, so I bring greetings from the far north of Singapore, uh, from your brothers and sisters in Woodlands Evangelical Free Church. Uh, and just like you were meeting for the first time uh, on site uh, in our church this morning. Uh, and it truly uh, is a pleasure to be with you, uh, whether you're uh, at home, Geylang EFC, or you're here in this sanctuary. Uh, now, uh, would you just allow me to pray uh, and let's just briefly commit this time uh, to the Lord. Lord, we are so privileged to worship you as our loving and heavenly Father. Now, guide us as we meditate upon your word this morning. Speak through me, your servant, and may your Holy Spirit be with your people, the church, gathered and scattered, that we may hear you and obey you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it is truly a pleasure to be with you, uh, to open your Missions Sunday's uh, reflections as you think about uh, really what it means uh, to be believers of Jesus uh, in, in a troubled world, uh, a world with, uh, with so much needs. Now, uh, so not only today, but also next Sunday, you'll be thinking about just what it, what it means to proclaim the gospel in a world with not only many spiritual needs, but also social needs and physical needs in this troubled world. Now, as Pastor Vincent said, um, I was, uh, I'm recently the executive uh, pastor, and uh, so it's, I'm still getting used to it. Uh, and uh, it seems strange, feels, still feels a little strange to me not to be the missions pastor uh, in, in my church and, and handing that over because, yes, it's been 15 years that I've been uh, leading my church in various mission fields uh, around the world, countries like Japan and, and Philippines and Thailand and East Asia and, and, uh, and Timor-Leste, as, as Pastor Vincent mentioned. Uh, and, it's, and God's just done wonderful things in my life personally. And as we led those work, and of course in the spiritual needs and evangelism there, we've also come across many, many physical and social needs relating to tsunamis, uh, the work in Sendai, to floods, poverty, the need for education, malnutrition uh, among children. These are all things that we have seen and, and witnessed and have, and have moved our hearts because we, we really live in a, in a troubled world today, don't we? I mean, we live in a, in a world where we just turn on our computers, look at our handphones, we read the news, and we see the reality of the Taliban's takeover of Afghanistan. We see a mass exodus of refugees. We see great suffering around the world because of COVID. And we know that in Singapore, it's like we just have inconveniences, unlike other countries with such great suffering. And we see global inequality of wealth on a scale that's never, never before. Now, in this kind of world, the gospel must be real and relevant to people who live in this troubled world, especially the people who face these things. Now, why? Because Jesus himself is real and relevant to these things, isn't he? And it's his desire to minister to people's lives, things, and to be to make a transformation of this world. 
Now, you, have may, you may have heard this term, holistic mission, or sometimes integrated missions before. And what this is, is what we're going to be talking about these next, and you're going to be hearing, not just today, next Sunday as well, is it refers to this understanding and practice of missions that is not limited, it's not limited just to the spiritual aspect of disciple-making, such as evangelism, Bible studies, and church planting. Oh, that's definitely there. That must be there, of course. But holistic missions with the troubling things in our world, like rebuilding after floods, alleviating poverty, or running food programs for children. You see, when it comes to holistic missions, it's both the evangelism that deals with the spiritual needs as well as some social action that deals with the physical needs. And so naturally, one question that we, we, that's, it's, it's worthy of, of being asked and is asked is, well, is this, is this correct or not? I mean, should missions be both or should missions be just only about the spiritual message of Jesus? Because isn't, isn't that the most important thing? Shouldn't it, be, should it be just that and not about the social needs? And my answer is this. You see, missions is fully about Jesus. It's fully about Him and His message, His purposes, and what He came to, to do. And what He came to do is not only to die for our sins as individuals, but also to transform all aspects of the whole world, right? Jesus not only came 2,000 years ago, but he will come again, and when he does, he will transform and change the whole world. And this transformation of the world, he will remove all the troubles that we see. Now, that final victory will only happen, of course, when Jesus comes again. But now, in this age and era where, where you and I sit, we are to be part of that transformation. And so we know that the only solution, the only ultimate solution to all the troubles in the world is Jesus himself. Only he will bring that full end to all the, the troubles. And so, but we are at this point in time, we are partaking in his mission, being a part of that. Now, another way Sometimes we ask the same question as, is this? Well, isn't, what isn't the, isn't scripture alone sufficient and effective to convict people of the need for Jesus? And if it is, then why do we need all these other works? Why do we need holistic mission and all these other works? And in fact, last Sunday, Pastor Vincent spoke to you about the sufficiency of scripture for our salvation. And it's true. Scripture is all we need for salvation. That doesn't change. Last week, Pastor Vincent also spoke to you and taught you and, and reminded you of Zechariah's words in Zechariah chapter 7, where the prophet says, Render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another, don't oppress the widow, right? It's, it's all over Scripture. And so we see that Scripture contains the full gospel message but what that full gospel message includes also is that the church, we must have an impact on the world, on the fatherless, on orphans, on foreigners, 
poor, the church also must have an impact in the world in area of social action. Now, social and political issues are not a new phenomenon, of course. It's not just today. I mean, we, we are exposed to it because of the internet and, and media on a level like never before. But of course, they, it's not a recent phenomenon. In the first century Greco-Roman world, they had huge political, religious, and justice issues at that time. Whenever we read in the book of Acts and in the New Testament, they had all, all sorts of social issues that they, they were dealing with. And it's, and it's quite fascinating to read and to understand what those social issues were, what those political issues were, because all of the New Testament has that in its backdrop. In fact, the early disciples were, yes, they were in the muck and in the mire of all those things. They brought the gospel to speak into those things. And today we're looking into Acts chapter 4, verses 23 onward. And, this, and in this scripture passage, they were dealing with, we know, lots of poor, poverty, dealing with an oppressive political regime in the Romans. They had traitors among their own people. They had a power-hungry religious group, which were also quite hypocritical. And then you have Peter and John, the apostles, dragged before a council, a religious council, interrogated, and then reluctantly released. And that's where we pick up our story in Acts chapter 4, verse 23. And so allow me to, uh, to read uh, from, uh, from God's word here. Now, when they were released, now this is Peter and uh, John, they went to their friends, the other apostles and disciples, and they reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? See, I want to point out to you that Peter and John, they saw the tension and the troubles in the world. People raged. People plotted against God and against one another. And what we see in this prayer is the apostles just bringing their struggles, the struggles like we have as well, and they just, they just laid it at God's feet in prayer and trusted God. And they trusted God, and, I, and as I continue reading here, I want you to see how they trusted in God's predestined plan that he was using all these troubles as part of a plan that God knew and he was putting in place and he was already in control over. So continue reading from 26. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. 
Now, you and I too must trust in this, must trust in God's predestined plan. You see, the apostles and the disciples, they had just seen Herod and Pontius Pilate plot against them. The religious leaders scheme and lie about Jesus. They had seen Jesus crucified. They had seen their dreams dashed and their hopes scattered. They had witnessed all these conspiracies, all this backstabbing. And then despite all of that, despite seeing all of that, they could have this kind of calm confidence and trust and say that all these awful and terrible things that the other people had done, they said that whatever all these things were done, whatever it is, this was God's hand. And his plan, his pre, it was in his predestined plan to allow this to happen and to take place. And that, that should boggle our minds. Seeing all the evil and the scheming in the world and say, well, God, I trust you. Because in your predestined plan, you allowed this to take place. Now, now what is it that made this remarkable trust possible? Now, I believe that it was because these disciples had just witnessed, they had just seen and been a part of God turning the most impossible situation into victory. You see, Christ's crucifixion and death had become a victory in the resurrected Christ. And they had remembered just recently how hopeless they felt when they saw their Lord being dragged away and seeing him dying and being crucified on that cross, being buried in that tomb. But what happened three days later? And if that could happen, if Jesus had that kind of power, and if God's plan included this could include turning something like that completely on its head, turning it around and into the most glorious victory, then anything else is a piece of cake for God. <laughs> anything else that Herod or Pontius Pilate could do, any further scheming that they could do is nothing. Even those could certainly be used by God. And if God can do that in the death and the resurrection of Jesus, then Brothers and sisters, today, God is able to use whatever is going on in your life. Whatever is going on in your family, He can use whatever is going on in your church, and He can even use whatever is going on in the world, all the troubles in the world, as part of His plan. And you and I will never understand we won't understand the full details. It wouldn't be our natural way of working, but it's God's. Can He use the ravages of COVID-19 to strengthen His church? Can He use the threats of terrorism? Can He even use the Taliban themselves? If He can use Herod and the death of His son, 
And I think, yes, he can. And that is why pray as they did. And brothers and sisters, what inner peace we would have if in the same way when anything disappointing happened in our lives, when we got lower marks than we deserved and had studied for, when that project fell through, when we lost our jobs and are uncertain what would come next, and we could say in peace, God, you knew about this. And this is in your predestined plan you know what you were doing. You know, last night, like many of you, uh, I watched the NDP rally. And uh, I thought how that animation and the stories of the different individuals and how they weaved it together, oh, it, was, it, was, it was wonderful and it was very meaningful. And all those lives of individuals, young and old, they tell the story of our nation, doesn't it? But you know, on a grander scale, on a more cosmic scale, the life and resurrection of Jesus tells this global story of mankind that will come out in victory in the end. When we trust in God's predestined plan that he enacted through Jesus to save the world. And so now, when the world is in so much trouble, especially when we need the message of Jesus. We need it in our own lives, when we feel weak. We need God's enabling power. We need it in our churches so that we can respond to Christ's call to bring this gospel in a troubled world. But how can we do that when we are struggling ourselves? We feel weak. We feel like jars of clay as Pastor Vincent prayed earlier. But you know, this is precisely why we need God's enabling. Now, the disciples, they were a small band of brothers, no great earthly authority. And sometimes it's when we use the words Apostle Peter, Apostle John, we, we kind of forget that because we use those words and we think great spiritual giants and you know, leaders of the church, which of course they were. But you know, at the time of this story in Acts, uh, they were working class men, fishermen, uneducated by the world's standards, except for having walked with Jesus for three years and having the faith and believing that their Lord had risen from the dead. And so they stood up to the most learned men of their time. And they stood up to the government. And they took on the mandate that Jesus had given them. Be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. They took that heart and they knew of Jesus' promise that he would be with them at the end of the age. So... These ordinary fishermen felt weak, felt small as well. But let's continue reading that story in Acts chapter 4 and see how they responded. And now, Lord, they pray, now, look upon their threats. Look upon the troubles, that, the threats that are all around us and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out 
your hand to heal, and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. He said, responded with a prayer for boldness. That was the first thing they prayed for when they felt weak, when they felt small or unable because of their own struggles. They responded with a prayer and said, God, enable me. God, give me that bravery, give me that courage, give me that boldness. And so we need to pray bravely for a God-sized vision for us. Because, and I use that phrase, God-sized, vision for us. Because if it's truly going to be God's vision for us, definitely, going to stretch our faith considerably. Something that God gives to us is not usually going to be something that's automatically easy within our faith boundaries. Now notice that the, those early believers, they didn't pray that God take away those difficulties so that I can accomplish the mission. Uh, make it comfortable for me so that within my abilities I can do what you want me to do. They didn't even pray for protection or safety. They prayed for courage. They prayed for bravery and for boldness. They said, God, this is what you wanted me to do, preach the gospel to all the nations at the end of the earth. And so give me boldness and allow us to do that. They prayed bravely because they knew they needed to be brave to proclaim the gospel. And I think we need that message so much today. Because none of us, by our own abilities, we don't feel brave, naturally. We don't look around at the world and say, oh, we can do it. We can make that difference. We can... None of us feel that way naturally. It's only by God's enabling and the Holy Spirit's power. And in their prayer, I want you to notice that they also prayed that God would do His part. Okay? They prayed that God would keep on doing the miraculous works that God was doing. And they were doing it, those miraculous things were happening through their ministry, right? Works of healing and, 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 and casting out demons and all of that. So they said, God, help me to be brave on my part, and you keep doing what you are doing, God. And this kind of trust in God, that God would do his part, God would work out his predestined plan, allowed them to pray bravely that they would be a part of this God-sized vision. Now, because holistic mission involves the troubles in the world and the problems we see around us, it's really easy to feel overwhelmed. It's easy to feel like we're a drop in the ocean, that it's important to do something, but maybe I won't make that much of a difference. Or maybe even my church or my denomination or even Singapore, this small red dot. What difference can we make? It's easy to feel that the world is impossibly large. So we need to pray this kind of brave prayer that we see the apostles praying. Bravery in the face of rejection, whether it's courage you need to share the gospel in your workplace, 
whether it's courage you need to lead your church in the area of missions. Because God wants us to do something in this time that we have on this earth that is eternal. Right? He, he wants us to do something that's worthwhile, that will last for eternity. And if we're going to do anything like that, friends, it's, it's not going to be easy at first because it's going to stretch our faith. But then God will move and He will be powerful and mighty. And that's what He did in the early church. And that's what He continues to do in the church today when we trust Him. Now, I've been leading the Evangelical Free Church denomination in this area of missions and my church's missions ministry in Timor-Leste for, that's been more than 10 years. You know, when I first began this, the work in Timor-Leste, I was relatively new to ministry, just a couple of years out of Bible school. And the new missions pastor was taking over that portfolio in Woodlands EFC, and I really felt I was being thrown into the deep end. I mean, I had asked God, God, do you want me to take this up? And God clearly said yes, so I said okay. But I really felt like I was being thrown into the deep end of the pool. But God taught not only me, He taught my church so much about holistic mission. He stretched our faith for what we thought was impossible at that time. We landed in Timor-Leste and I saw in the mission field children going hungry. I saw a society ravaged by war. And so, in what we started doing, we started doing just what Singaporeans knew what to do. You know what we know what to do? Food and education, okay? We're very good in those things. And so we slowly grew from there. And now we have a full-fledged uh, NGO, a foundation. We have an operational kindergarten and a community center. And we as the EFC in Singapore have this. It's, it's led by my church, but we, we have this. And there's about 10 local staff there. Now we did these things because why? These Christ-like acts of mercy, honor and please God. But we also did these things because these good works allow us to enter a community and allow us to preach the gospel. Communities which would not normally allow us in, would not normally give us a listening ear. You see, holistic missions means that our efforts in the area of justice and poverty alleviation, they're not just fronts for the gospel. They're not just excuses to get in and then once we get in, once we start going, then all those things stop. No, they are genuine expressions of God's love that go hand in hand with the spiritual message of the gospel for the transformation of a society. Now, in, after that, we started uh, Renovar Foundation, which does a variety of this genuine kind of work. And we started to see advances in the gospel our local staff started coming to faith, and they were the very first believers in that whole area, in that community. And they began witnessing to their families. And immediately, we faced direct spiritual opposition, because this is a land of animism and witchcraft. We had witch doctors casting spells against us. Now, 
we had community leaders telling people, don't go and see these people. You know, they're going to convert you. Uh, that's what we faced at that time. But the people on the ground, the Timorese who were with us, they could see our love and our work was genuine. No one forced them to become believers. No one crammed this down their throat. We had just showed them Jesus. We said, look at what a difference he makes in our lives. And then Jesus had called them to himself. Now, there was a milestone watershed moment about three, four years ago in our church when these breakthroughs started happening. The first believers started uh, coming to Christ, and then the spiritual opposition ramped up in, in a huge And I called the, it just happened to be a mission Sunday as well. God just has wonderful ways of working. And so I called the church to an urgent week of prayer. I said, every night, let's come and pray, and, then, and let's end the week in, uh, you know, in prayer together. And this is all before the COVID times. And, you know, we had never done something like that before. Because I'm sure, like Gala EFC, you know, my church, EFC, we, we believe in the Holy Spirit. We believe in all these gifts and the power of the Holy Spirit. But we don't have a charismatic background. Uh, we don't move in power encounters. All these things about direct spiritual warfare and casting out demons is all, like, new to us, you know? Now, and all these were happening right alongside the efforts to run a kindergarten, feed children, minister to the poor, and all these, all these things. You see, holistic missions includes the spiritual side, gospel proclamation, spiritual warfare, prayer, all those things, as well as the social action. All of it rolled into one. Now we knew, we know and knew at that time, and you and I know today, that the only lasting and eternal change comes when people know Jesus personally. And you can feed and you can build schools all you want, but unless people come to know Jesus personally, there is no ultimate and eternal transformation and blessing in their lives. And so all the good works that we do, it's constantly, constantly at the same time, we're speaking about Jesus, about who he is. And that's why now more than half our staff are, are believers, and they're teaching the children as well now what it means uh, to follow Jesus. They're reading scriptures for the first time, and some of their families, as with some of their families as well. And so these are the first believers in their community, and we are praying now that they will be able to share the gospel, and the second generation of believers will come. Not from the witness of, and what we mean when we say second generation in missions, we mean not from the witness, not from the witnessing of the missionaries, but from the witnessing of the first generation of local believers. And that will be a beautiful thing. Now you can see from this example that I've shared with you that holistic missions has plenty of good works, but also must have the message of Jesus at its center. And there's so many people among unreached, uh, unreached nations in the world today, they need both. They need to experience the love of the gospel in action, meeting their felt needs, and then they'll be able to hear God's word being proclaimed to them. And it is the same way in the book of Acts, in what we just read earlier. You see, 
that is why the apostles prayed, God, keep doing the miracles that you're doing. We want to keep seeing the healings, keep seeing the spiritual deliverance and the signs and the wonders. Because those in the apostles' day were the physical manifestations that showed people that Christ's love and power was real. And after they'd seen that, then like their hearts were opened and then they could hear the Scripture's message. They could hear the gospel being proclaimed and many would believe. Now earlier, we said that God would, that we would need to pray for a God-sized vision in our life and in our church. Now, when we do that, after we do that, what can we expect after making that prayer? And how can we respond? Back to the Bible and see what we can learn. In, in verse 31, when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered was shaken. And all were filled, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now, in this case, God answered their prayer immediately, and he answered it in an unexpected way. Because I'm quite sure that the disciples weren't expecting such a, like you pray, and then this dramatic physical sensation. And then the Bible doesn't expressly say there were probably other things that happened as well in order for the writer to say, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, similarly, when we pray, when we pray, especially when you pray for a God-sized mission in your life, a God-sized mission for your church, I think we should expect God to answer. And that's one of the great things I've learned these past 10 years in missions. I've, it's raised my faith level and my church's faith level as well. And as we've stretched ourselves to pray for bigger things, we expect to see God answer. But we don't expect to see him answer in the ways we think. We keep our eyes open and we look out for what he's about to do. You see, we need to participate in what God's answer is. Because when you're asking God, about his missional purposes in the world, you can expect an answer that invites a response from you. Because God has already said he wants to use his whole church. He wants to use you and I. He's given us that mandate. So God, if we're asking him, God, what is your purpose for us? What, what, what do you want to do in the world? Expect an answer that includes an invitation for you, or for your church, or for your family, or for your group, to join him in some way. And for some of us, sometimes that comes as a challenge to obedience, to say yes to him. Sometimes it's releasing our children. Sometimes it's being just being patient and waiting. For some, it's a call to intercessory prayer. For some, it's a dying to self. Now, God's move in our life is always invitational because God is always inviting us to be a part of his mission. He's inviting us and saying, come, join me. And so the question is, will we participate or not? Will we be able to hear and join him in this or not? Now, when the disciples 
they were willing to be bold and to witness. They asked God to help them to be bold. They were willing to witness and to be bold as well. They didn't feel bold, who would, but they were willing to be. And notice that they didn't pray that God send other people to do it. God, do it in your global church, just don't include me. No, they prayed that community they would witness. You see, when God formed you, Geylang EFC, he had a mission and a purpose for you. Of course, he's. It has your aim written on it. And this particular mission and calling is a place for you in the global church is in God's predestined. He knows every single one of you makes up this body. And he desires He knows that you can best fulfill this. And whatever that mission is, you need to pray bravely that you will fulfill this. Again, the disciples didn't pray someone else would fulfill it. They prayed, God, give us boldness that we may do it. Because they knew that this was God's mission for them. Now, God answered this prayer Right? And a shaking and filling of the Holy Spirit. And so then after that, the disciples stepped up willingly. In other words, they were a part of their own, they were a part of God's answer to prayer. So they were a part of the answer to their own prayers. And this is something, again, something that I've learned and tried to put into practice. When I pray for God to do something in my church, always be willing to hear Him move in unexpected ways and always be willing to hear and expect maybe God would want to be part of that answer to that prayer. Now, if you're burdened for something and you pray for that, expect God to show you and maybe invite you to be part of that answer. And it's such an amazing privilege and a joy to know that God's put something on your heart, it's His burden, because it wouldn't come from your human self, and then you're part of His work praying for it, and then you're part of the work putting your hands and your feet to it. And so I've known this joy, but I've also known years of drought and crisis in our mission's work. There have been times where political climates in the countries that we work with have made the work slow to a crawl or almost stop completely, where we've had to confront our fears about terrorist attacks in regions that we're in, or when interpersonal conflict just derailed a ministry. Now, joining God in missions sometimes means shipwrecks before the successes, just like what Paul had. But a spiritual leader's role is to sense what God's particular call for his community, for her community, for his or her church is, and then to rally others to stay true to that calling. And so it's for, for many years that I, I cast this, yeah, this long-term vision, both to EFC Singapore, to my church, this long-term vision that we would build this school and this community in Timor-Leste. 
And this holistic mission would be integrated with discipleship and, and church planting. And so there were years of drought, plenty of crisis, lots of politically unstable times in Timor-Leste. But as I said, in the past few years, crucial breakthroughs. COVID has certainly affected us and slowed the work. It made things difficult. It has made and is making things difficult for our missionaries. In fact, we had one missionary couple who wanted to go. They even landed there in Dili, but they had to return and they were not able to base themselves there. However, we have other missionaries who are already there and they continue to be there anchoring the work and weathering the storms. And now, many of our teachers were building into our lives and build, dis making disciples of them, making them strong, helping them, and they are sharing Bible stories and their testimonies with the kids. And some are leading devotions in their own discipleship groups. We just brought back one Timorese who is uh, now trained, has some theological training, uh, and has serving in some areas of spiritual leadership uh, in the ministry as well. Now, these children, uh, yeah, and we see there some, uh, I wanted to show you that photo. You can see the first people baptized uh, as, as well and worshiping. It's, it's wonderful. Now, the children in that kindergarten uh, center we have are provided a nutritious meal uh, every day, and they're provided this nurturing preschool environment. I remember 10 years ago, learning all about this and reading research studies, and it showed how just providing one good, healthy meal a day makes such a difference in a child's nutrition, especially in their, when they're malnourished in countries like that. Uh, and it makes such a difference in mental development and their future life. And all of that is proven in secular studies. That's not even counting the spiritual input that we are putting uh, into their lives and the prayer coverage that we are giving them. Now, one of the big struggles in ministry in Timor-Leste is actually physical presence uh, and uh, uh, establishing our physical and our legal presence in this place and actually owning land because the laws and the culture make that very difficult. And we did all this ministry in a rental site because that's all that we could have and we just started that and God grew that. But if we are really to fulfill that vision of having a school and a if we are to have something long-term that survives after missionaries leave and that we can leave to local ownership, which is, of course, what we always want to do in to have a long-term plan and, and an exit strategy, then we need something more permanent. It can't be just a rental site. Well, after years of struggle, we are now in our final steps of closing a land purchase. It could happen next month. We are praying. We've had many false starts. So, like, Lord, please. And this would be where we would build a permanent kindergarten, community center. We would run social enterprises there that will help the community with livelihood. And all those things are things that we are doing now in smaller ways in our current site, and we would build that in the future. And so having that as something that our denomination can, can do together and we can invite our, our other churches on. It's just, it's just exciting to me. I love partnerships. Uh, I love working with others and enabling people to make a difference in, in others' lives and especially in the nations. 
And so this provides an excellent base for ministry, for these projects that we can do, and for the disciple-making and church planting that will occur. Some of these will be community projects, some will be disciple-making, some will be spiritual equipping, all of this integrated together in holistic missions in this place that we call Renovar Foundation. Now, we'll be doing this, as I said, together with our denomination, our EFC Singapore, and inviting other churches to participate with us. And whether that includes giving or mission trips or, or volunteering our skills and our services that God has given you. And like the disciples Acts chapter 4, many of us have been praying, and we now see God is answering our prayer, and we're being willing to be part of His answer as He opens those, those next steps with us. And in fact, I see that next Sunday you're having a digital mission workshop. It's very, digital mission is very new for us too. In fact, we haven't officially started it, but we're investigating it, <laughs> probably the same as you right about this time. And we've been trying, um, and we hope maybe to have our first mission trip to Timor and maybe into our, some of our other fields uh, at the end of this year uh, as, as well. Now, at the beginning of this message, you know, I, I explained to you how holistic mission is an approach that deals with both evangelism as well as the social needs around us, and it integrates them together. And I said it makes sense because mission is all about Jesus. And Jesus does both things. His mission is about both things. He came and called individuals to an individual faith and belief in salvation. It must be there. But he also said he's come to change the world. And he said he will come again and transform and make everything new. And so holistic mission is about the church's acceptance of the fullness of what Christ has called us to do, the fullness of the gospel impact, and then joining him in this. And in today's troubled world, there is nothing more relevant, nothing more needed, I think. The social needs around us, the trouble that people face, it makes our message very relevant when we bring them to pe people and we minister to them and we tell them what you need is jesus in your life now you know but i want to end with this thought i think you know that i mean you you know that it's biblically and theologically correct that christ is ultimately what the world needs all right and let me say that again we trouble in the world so, theologically and biblically, because Pastor Vincent has taught you and trained you well, you know that ultimately the world needs Jesus. That's the ultimate answer. However, at the same time, I also know that in our hearts, we sometimes feel a little foolish or naive saying that aloud. Because we look around the struggle in the world around us and it, can we tell other people that Jesus is all you need? Jesus is really what you need? Is it really true that when someone is starving, that they really need Jesus more than the bowl of rice? We know it's theologically true, but we feel sometimes a little foolish or naive. And that's why Scripture says, you know, the, 
the gospel is often foolishness to the world, but ultimately it's God's wisdom. Well, this is the way I think about it. Because that question when someone is hungry and starving and what do they need more, in Timor-Leste it's not a hypothetical question. And what we try to do there is we give them that bowl of rice. And at the same time, we show them how they can grow more rice. And at the same time, we tell them about Jesus. Because ultimately, we know even eating that bowl of rice, of course, that doesn't help them long term. But we also know that even growing rice, because that's what the secular NGOs will do, ultimately, that also won't transform a society. But when Jesus comes into their life and they stop, they stop with their animistic practices that traps them in poverty. It's too long for me to explain, but it really does. They have so much idol worship and animal sacrifice and so many things that the evil spirits in their life trap them in that. But when they stop those, when they start following Jesus and stop them, then God blesses and transforms their life, not only spiritually, but also emotionally with their families and their relationships, and materially as well, God blesses. So yes, I think and believe that Jesus, I know that Jesus is the ultimate answer to this troubled world, to both the spiritual and the physical needs. And so friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, when you go and when you see things around you, whether it's on the streets in Singapore, whether it's in our neighborhood of Geylang, whether it's in your families, in your workplaces, know that Jesus is the ultimate answer. And what he's inviting you on now is the same as what he's inviting you, what he invited his disciples in Acts chapter 4. This is his holistic mission. Believe in that. Demonstrate his power and his love to a world that's hurting and troubled. And then he calls us to meet some of those needs and bring the gospel message of salvation at the same time. Will you have the courage and faith to accept his invitation and join him? Allow me to pray. Father, your word comes to us to guide us. We thank you for this account in Acts chapter 4 which strengthens us and challenges us and calls us to this kind of faith in you. And now, Lord, may your word sink deep into our hearts. Help us to apply this in our lives to wherever you place us, in our families or in the marketplace, and also as a church, for this church, for Geylang for the are placed upon our heart. Help us to be faithful to, the, to your mission in the world. We pray this in your powerful name. Amen.